0: Hey punters and welcome to Inside 50, Premiership Medallions left, right and centre today. I'm joined by Travis Cloak and Shane Crawford. Travis, a 256 game legend across two clubs. Thanks for having a chat today.
1: No
2: problems, thank you so much.
0: And as per usual, the great man Shane Crawford in beautiful, sunny, balmy Melbourne.
2: If you had of, uh, if we hadn't done a quiz and, and you said, Travis Cloak, how many games did he play? I wouldn't have gone 256. To go on low two somewhere, so it's pretty good effort, really. When you think about key position player, big, strong guy running up and down the field, it's uh, and center half forwards, center half forwards don't last a long time when you think about it.
0: No, they don't. And admittedly, you did finish your career at 30 as well, so injuries did catch up with you at the end.
1: Yeah, I um, I missed more games in the last two years of my football than I did in my whole career. Um, so upsetting, but hey, I'm happy I'm sitting here at 34 now and uh, enjoying life.
0: Now, you look fit enough to still play. Now, normally that's a good thing, but you've got a coach at the moment here in Shane Crawford, so just be careful because he might try and recruit
2: you. Uh, No, I can't offer you a contract because we don't have any money. But I can offer you an opportunity to help. couldn't pay me enough to get out to to run around again. You just need to mark it and kick it straight. Well, I couldn't kick it straight, mate. That was my issue. Yeah, well, okay, that's a bit of an issue. (laughs) Anyway, it depends where you mark it, surely.
0: (laughs) Now, you grew up with your father, David, a 333-game legend. He started his career at Richmond. He captained Richmond in the 82 Grand Final. He then went to Collywood, played at Collywood, went back to Richmond. Who did you grow up barracking for?
1: Um, No one. That's complete honest. Uh, We used to go to the footy most Friday night as a family, obviously Jason Cam as well. Um, I supported footy as a kid, um, but as I grew up, I I did see the passion Dad had, obviously, for the Tigers, so I had a bit of a soft spot for him. but um, I guess I can't really vocalise that because I I went to the Pies instead of the (laughs) Tigers. Who'd your brothers Jason and Cameron Barrick for? Um, I think they were the same, I think they were a bit like Switzerland, just sat on the fence all the time, uh, never really made a decision, but... um, I don't know. Footy's footy. It was nice back in the early 80s and 90s to watch. Now it's a bit boring, but it's starting to get better again, so it's entertaining.
0: When you say you were Switzerland, you just liked the footy. I find that strange because your dad was obviously a star at two clubs and footy was such a big part of your life from day dot. It's unique to see kids not have a team.
1: Yeah, no, it's really to the day now, Like I, I don't follow a team. I follow individuals. Um, obviously, my, my Teammates I played with are still running around. At, at numerous clubs, I su- support and follow them. Now, being a part of the, the talent identification program, I've got kids now at all different AFL clubs, and obviously I follow them. So it's a added incentive for me now to put the game on and, and more look at the individuals, how they're going, um, than the actual team. How passionate a Tiger supporter were you growing up?
2: Well, for me, Cloak was a superstar running around. Uh, you know, I loved, obviously, the Tigers, so um, you know I was very familiar with the big, strong ruckman, moving around the ground and um, and even kicking some goals at times. So, no, Richmond for me was everything, you know, but it wasn't until probably the uh, the late 80s Essendon and Hawthorne were playing in the grand finals every year. So you got to know those teams probably better than any other teams because you'd see them in the big games when they were televised and you'd know all about the Hawthorne players and all about the Essendon players, probably more so than your sort of bottom 10, 15 on your listed. Richmond. When did the penny drop with you Shane
0: that you were going to be an AFL footballer? Were you very very young at about eight or nine did you think I'm a hell of a lot better than everyone else or as you got older did no. it start to dawn on you?
2: No it probably wasn't it was after I was drafted and then I played in the reserves. It's
0: the first time you thought you're going to play AFL footy?
2: Well yeah you still have a bit of doubt like you're you still are very unsure and it's like where is a spot for me where am I going to fit and I think all kids even though you're you, you have some kind of confidence that I'm going to get there and I'm going to be a part of it, you still don't know and you look through the teams and every year you look through the teams and you're like, gee, that on paper, those teams look very strong. Where's my position? But um, I played a game in the reserves um, and I kicked some goals and I was still at boarding school, so I was coming down from boarding school um, and playing a few reserves games, kicked some goals, played well and there was talk of whether or not they are going to put me in the side to play against Essendon on a Friday night um, And they wanted to, but then they thought Team Harmony might have been a bit off because a lot of the older players, I hadn't been around a lot um, and I was still at school. So they opted against it. That's when I thought, you know what, I can do this if I'm prepared to work hard. That's when I sort of the light bulb moment.
0: I thought I might have been about 11 or 12 years of age when you're starting to dominate the local footy and you think I can go and make a career of this. Well, surely it was a bit earlier for you, Trav. You've seen your dad play AFL footy. You're yeah. the youngest of three just boys. in the family. Uh, the other it two was a, It was always footballs. a
1: dream. Yeah. Um, mum and Dad didn't let us play football till 10. This was my brother as well. I snuck through at eight I got on the field, so that was nice. <laughs> Why I mean, was the, that? Um, more just let us play other sports and enjoy I don't know being a child. And I guess that's part of my philosophy now is the kids I talk to with, I don't tell them to pick one sport even at the age of 18, 19, still try different sports, educate yourself on, on other other avenues. Um, so that was kind of why mum and dad, I, I guess, did it at that age. But, yeah, my pathway was different. Like, obviously, Jace was playing AFL footy. I was 13, 14 at the time. Cam went through. I did work experiences of 14, 15-year-old at the Pies with Neil Balm. Um, and then, same, like, I got drafted as a 17-year-old. I was in year 11 at the time, Um Mum and Dad always had rules in place that we had to finish our U12, get our VCE. That was number one priority, so I did that while playing football. Um, but, yeah, the life of a AFL football was always what I wanted. But at the same time, I probably got in my mid-20s and realised this is not the be-all and end-all. There's a lot more life than just footy, and that was probably what shaped me more than, than anything. From the moment Jason started his career,
0: and he made a really great start to his career... The word was there's three cloaks and the youngest one
1: is the best. How much truth to that was there? Well, you look at the Salwoods and the youngest wasn't the best in that one. So I think it's a <laughs> bit of a myth. But, um, yeah, I, I guess me going to Collingwood play took Cam's spot, actually, in our side. Um, we're very similar in build. He played a bit more ruck forward. Um, but, yeah, that was the, the talk of the town at the time. But I don't necessarily agree. Like, Jace had a fantastic career. Yes, got reported in the 0-2 grand final. And that was probably the, the downfall of his career. Um, Cam struggled with shoulder injuries. I think he had seven or eight shoulder reconstructions in his time and still was on an AFL list for t- nearly 10 years. So if you're looking at time spent on AFL lists, they both had pretty successful careers. Um, maybe, yeah, I just got the games and the individual and team accolades to go along with the games. that kind of looks a bit more shiny on paper.
2: And, and being the youngest too, in the backyard, I'd imagine... You got to get a kick, so you, you fight and you're learning off. You know, obviously your older brothers well, who are going pretty four well. Four boys yourself? Is that so, kind of how it works at home? Well, sort of. If they're not climbing trees and jumping <laughs> fences, but that that's the way it is. If you want a kick, you got to go and
1: get it yourself. Yeah, survival happens in the backyard at home when you you're one of five and definitely two other brothers.
0: And yeah.
2: little do you know, that's that's the training for professional football later in life when you've got you know such. Wonderful, you know, footballers and and good brothers coming through to push you all the way. So well, there's something there's to it, obviously, because you
0: and your brother played AFL. You and your two brothers played AFL. So we might be onto something. This might be the new training. The Selwoods
2: hold the record. Yes. Well, they will this weekend, yeah, this weekend hold the record. They break the record, take it away from the Danahers. So there is something in that quitty. Absolutely superb. Good for the
0: horse breeding as well.
2: You could just go to the sales <laughs> and pick out some that have got good
0: siblings. Now could The family could have gone to both Richmond and Collingwood under the father-son rule. Now, Jason was the first one up. He elected to go to Collingwood. What are your memories of that?
1: Yeah, Richmond, we're, were into Jase. Um, but I think at the time, yeah, I couldn't tell you why, that he actually picked the pies over the Tigers. But I, I guess for him, it was kind of where the list and where they were at as, as a side and where they were going. Obviously, a little bit of the ties too. Mick was coach. Um, so, obviously, Dad's relationship with him as well, obviously, makes it a little bit easier that way. But, um, I couldn't tell you why that one was done. The option for Cam wasn't there. Tigers weren't interested. Okay. Um, so Cam went father-son, but the Pies were really keen on him, and that's why. Uh, mine was a really interesting one. I had um, the Tigers I've, uh, almost thrown the kitchen sink at me to, to go there. Um, Noel Judkins was a recruit at the Pies at the time, and this is when you could sign father-son like mid-season or whatever, and it's all done. And I was at Noel's... June or July and obviously negotiations and talks and whatever going through and Spud was the coach obviously at the Tigers at this time and lived around the corner and he came around to, to Juddie's just for, as he did on a Wednesday night, we were sitting there, Dad and I, having a chat um, and there was a contract sitting on the table top of thing and Spud walked in with a cup of drinks and said, oh well, I guess I'm too late then for that, let's just sit down and have a drink and that was kind of what happened there and that kind of got the ball rolling of why I went to the Pies in the end but The real reason why I went to the Pies is obviously they were transitioning from Vic Park to the Holden Centre at the time. Um, They were just really bottomed bottomed out a little bit but starting to really climb back up the ladder. Um, So the opportunity for me to be a part of, I guess, a a successful club was, was an option. But also the idea of playing with both my brothers was a real selling point.
0: And you got to do that for the first three years. Your first two years at Collingwood, I think like most young forwards, you take a little while to develop, but it was your third year where you absolutely exploded. At just 20 years of age, you won the Collingwood Best and Fairest. Absolutely sensational but it must have been a bit of a bittersweet year, because in that exact same year, both your brothers got moved on from the club.
1: Yeah, I got told twenty minutes before I won the award that both brothers were getting delisted. So Are you um, kidding me? How'd that happen? <laughs> oh, well, footy clubs, Chinese whispers, things move very quickly. But um, yeah, it was a, it was an interesting uh, day, um, but also an interesting year. And I guess that moment of my career was when I kind of really realised that footy is a business. It's not just a a sport or a job or an opportunity Um, you've got to make the most of it so from then on I really knuckled down and and trained and made myself as professional as I could on and off the field and also at the club and also at home I moved out of home that year I bought myself a place in town so my travel was a lot shorter I spent a lot more time at the club and and learning perfecting my own craft and um, from then on um, I guess yeah my footy did blossom but at the same time I, I realized and had the fun taken away at the age of 20.
2: It's uh, I. I just want to backtrack when you say Richmond were throwing the kitchen sink at you. So, so Spuds walked in with a couple of beers. You're probably underage at the time. Yeah, I was underage. Anyway, yeah, so <laughs> no, was those for beers. the adults in the room, not the. the but the then, so when you're in that situation, when you're very much in demand, especially being a key forward, um, which are very hard to find, and we know that they really set you up for great success. So what do you say when the kitchen sink was thrown you? um, You I guess
1: back then, people talk about paper bags, but this wasn't a paper bag. Well, this is, uh, I guess it's just bricks and mortar. I guess you can put it that way. Um, Outside of Melbourne, it's more of an investment opportunity. So little things like that. Um,
2: Just to entice you across the line. and It's not to say there's anything... Uh, you know against the rules but it's like okay we can help you get into this development and a lot And that's what it
1: was Shane yeah more the opportunity of like this is our broader community of our business of our club we can help you with investment opportunities and we can steer you in the right direction and I guess that's why players do move from other clubs to big power clubs because their connection is so so wide and broad and um, the people you meet through some of these football clubs are amazing businessmen and they can hopefully put you in good stead for your whole life.
0: Have
2: you kept an eye on that development? And that no, era? I haven't, no. <laughs> How well, much hopefully you gave up. Hopefully it went under.
0: <laughs> <laughs> and this is a man that knows all about this. Didn't you get offered a McDonald's franchise? Well,
2: I got it. A- an opportunity to be uh, part of a McDonald's to go to Port Adelaide. And every time I drive past McDonald's, I just dream. <laughs> <laughs> that can feed my family yep. forever. <laughs>
0: so how did that come about? You were meeting the power and they said, come across and this is what no, we can it was, you. It was
2: obviously through my management group. But um, yeah, Port Adelaide were forming and, and trying to find established players and so forth. So there was an opportunity, a long-term deal. And uh, yes, there was lots of things suggested. So... If they had to ask three or four years later, <laughs> I'd be there working behind the counter. Don't worry. <laughs> but, um, you know, it's all about timing. And I was very settled and very sort of happy with my environment. But you, you do. And that's the thing. You've got to, as Trove said, you got to get your head into a space where you think, okay, what's going to be best for me? Where am I going to play my best football? You know, where are my mates? And, you know, that all comes into play. So, um, and another thing he said is. You know, that little cocoon of a, an environment football can be. You know, you sort of, you don't realise until you're out of it, oh, there's a lot more going on in the world. But um, that's what a lot of footballers don't realise. They, they come up through the under-18s and then they're in that environment and they're not later out. And when they're finally out, they realise, oh, my goodness. So I just imagine if they have a different life early on without football and then they come back to it, whether or not they stay committed to it. So it does play tricks with your mind.
3: That winter chill is right around the corner, but the AFL is only heating up. And so is Tab's Same Game Multi, where you can combine your favourite AFL markets like Head-to-Head, Anytime Goal Kicker and Total Disposals, all in the one bet to get bigger odds. It's available all season long on the Tab app and website. Build your Same Game Multi with Tab today. Tab, long may we play. Available online for Tabacan customers only. Gamble responsibly. Call Gambler's Help. 1-800-858-858.
0: One thing I get frustrated with is how clubs and especially supporters demand loyalty, but it's a one-way street. So we've just seen both your brothers moved out the door, and then not long after that, there's a contract offer from Fremantle for you, reported to be $5 million over five years. And all the Collingwood supporters are demanding you stay loyal, and I'm sure you wanted to stay loyal to Collingwood and the fans, but it is a business and you'd just seen the other end of it just two years previously when your brothers were on the other end of the stick.
1: Exactly. And that was probably why it took a little bit because it was a decision as a 22-year-old at the time. It was like, where do I want to play my AFL career? Um, do I want to play here in Melbourne? Do I want to move to the other side of town? Well, my family and my friends are here. um, and that you was your new a,
2: football friends. You've been there for three or four yeah, years. You've established great friendships. Footy
1: clubs are the best place you'll ever be around. Like, there's some of the lifelong friends I've got from there I'll, I'll never lose. And it's the best thing that's ever happened to me personally. Um, but yeah, it was, a, it was a tough decision. But at the same time, I always wanted to stay at Collingwood. And even when I left it at the end of my career, I, I did want to leave. But it was what was going to be best for me to find a love for footy and to regenerate that, that spark for me. And um, sometimes you've got to do things for yourself to.
2: I know, make your mind at ease. And you were trying to hang around to be a part of the Rat Pack. You wanted to be an extra (laughs) number, is that right? Definitely not me. But um,
1: (laughs) I enjoyed from afar seeing how they operated. Um, Yeah, this. How do you
2: how do you describe you know teammates like Dane Swan and and um, you know those types? Heath Shaw, very very good guys. Lots of fun to be around. But um, surely that is just like your own little you know show every day you do yeah, it it was
1: it was interesting like he's sure like add i don't know what's wrong with him but <laughs> he's so funny to be even now like funny text messages you can get from him um he's just an interesting character and that's why we love these people in footy like if they're all clones of the one person the game would be so boring we wouldn't watch it and pay attention but because there is so diverse in the personalities even the professionalisms are so different now um it's amazing and that's yeah who we're never going to see another Dane Swan with his <laughs> training standards because he trains so bloody hard, but at the same time, yeah, he, he loved to be here on the weekend. He loved being with his mates, and, and not necessarily his footy mates. It was his, his mates he grew up with as well. And
2: that probably worked
1: for him. Probably gave him great balance. Exactly, and and that's why we'll probably never see one of those generational players like that. Who were your close mates when you were playing at the club, and who are you still good friends with today? I, I still keep in contact with, obviously, Cam Wood, Tyson Goldsack, um, Ben Reid, Scott Penderbury, these type of guys. But other, other ones too, like current players, like Geordie Ogoi, I, I touched base with this morning to see how he's tracking, little things like that. Um, Jamie Elliott, like he, was a, he was such a minor when I came through but now he's an established player, but he's a, he's a good mate. But the, the one I'm really in constant communication with is Brody Grundy. Uh, we talk all the time, just and it's not about footy; it's just about life. Um, he's weighing up now: like, does he want to live in town or does he want to move on to some land? Just he's a very different, diverse character, and he's just weighing up what he wants to do. I, think, I think he
2: just scared, everyone. Then saying, "Does no, he, he want to move live in the state, in <laughs> No, Victoria, or does he, <laughs> he wanna, <laughs> wants to stay here? But, but he'd like he likes some wanna, land. Yeah, a bit of space yeah. out near you. You know, just out in the out of suburbs. Well, that's what I a, said.
1: As soon as we get out of lockdown, mate, come out for a few days, stay a few days. Come pat the horse, the cows, the ponies, whatever you want to do and see if this is your life. Well,
2: that's the one thing, and I do remember you being on the footy show many a time, and uh, they loved getting Collingwood players on because the ratings would go through the roof every time there was some type of Collingwood uh, player come on. But I do remember, you know, them focusing on, it's sort of like Ace Ventura. There's animals everywhere when the house you were living in, you have actually had, ponies yeah, coming po- yeah, into your living of, room. You had everything in there. The Tell official you time it I in.
1: signed the contract, yep. Ed and everyone else came out to mum and dad's house and <laughs> we're sitting around, as you do, in the living room and yeah, little pony nudged the door open and wandered on in and grabbed an apple and off he went again. That was just, <laughs> that was my childhood. Like we always had animals and stuff. They they roamed free through our property. Now, like I've never thought I'd move back and do the exact same thing. It's <laughs> happening at my place now. The animals aren't allowed in the house. so yep. They've got their own space. Dogs are. Uh, but yeah, i got... Cats, dogs, turtles... Ponies, sheep, goats. Got two cows coming next week, so it's like a mini zoo. It is. My daughter (laughs) loves it. She thinks it's just normal. She came to the city for the first time a couple months ago, and she just looked like, "What the hell is this? Like, where's the animals? What's going on?" So she's a little institutionalised, but we'll we'll be right. We'll get her into the big smoke (laughs) centre later. That's outstanding. Now
0: you said you got mates with Brody Grundy. Did you give him any guidance when he was going through that tough decision whether he stayed
1: at Collingwood or went to Adelaide for the big dollars? A little bit. Yeah, we spoke, and I also spoke to his mum about it, and and it was like, "Well, where do you want to now?" create a family um Rach his his partner had obviously moved over from Adelaide as well and she's here for uni for work and that was a conversation like well where do you want to now have a family get married have kids Where do they want to go to school you've got to think about that because that's what you're locking yourself into it's not just footy now this is family and you've got to take someone else's livelihood into consideration and I think that was maybe a bit of a driving factor for him because he was so unsure of where and what he wanted to do in that space he knew he wanted to stay at the pies yes he's from Adelaide but he loves Melbourne. He's so entrenched in the community, the culture of what Melbourne offers. Um, So I think he's made the right decision. But yeah, we'll sit back now and judge him every day if he doesn't perform because he gets paid the big bucks. That's what we do as general public and we want to criticise. So it's a shame, but that's the way we see professional athletes.
0: On that sort of topic, both your parents were very vocal and very supportive through your career. I remember when you were having the contract issues, your father David was very, very vocal and doing some great media interviews and some great t-shirts as he was running a bottle shop at the time and also your mum gave one of the greatest sprays to the triple m team i've ever heard and this was on the back of when they were awarding the three two and one not for the best players on the field but for the worst players on the field and unfortunately your brother jason was awarded three votes in back-to-back games and your mum had enough and she gave him a gob full how important was that now and in (coughs) retrospect how important do you think is that she basically stood up against bullying. And I think in this day and age when there's so much focus on the mental health, do you think – is
1: that something you look back and you're quite proud that she did and it's great that it's been eradicated? Yeah, I, I definitely. Like, mum and dad, yeah, they'll back me in no matter what. I could have done the most random or the wrong thing, but you know what? They'll always be in my corner and look after me and support. And I guess that's what you want from a mum and dad. Um, so they did that for Jay, so it's great. And if you know my parents um, – they're very opinionated and they will let you know where you sit with them. Um, there's definitely no hiding and, and that's what it is for kids. If we stuffed up, they told us we did wrong. So I really respect what they have in that space and, yeah, at the time, like when I listened to the radio, like, yeah, you used to tune in to listen to that three, two, one of Worst on Ground and I guess now and learning so much about this mental health space, it's geez, we were pretty far off it as a community and I'm not just saying the guys that did this, that part of the, of the triple, uh, triple M, but we, we've come so far in, in such a great way and we're still learning but at the same time, like, it was great radio. Yes, at the time we didn't think about what it did to the actual athlete or the individual. Um, some took it well, some took it lighthearted and had a laugh, but I do know now thinking about it, like some people went the other way and really got insular and, and probably scared to, to walk down the street a day after a game. I used to hate walking down the street a day after a game, If I not even if I played a good game, just in general, because I knew spectators or supporters would have an opinion of me, who I was as an AFL footballer, not who I, who I was as, as a person. And um, still to this day, like I'm still trying to rectify people because they think yeah, I'm an intimidating, aggressive person off-field. Well, I couldn't be any further from it. I'll give you a kiss and a cuddle before I <laughs> smack you in the face. You're a kiss and a cuddler
0: as well. How did you deal with people giving feedback to you, whether you wanted it or not?
2: Um, well, everyone's got an opinion, yeah. So uh, it's just the way, I suppose, that you take that. But I, I totally get that. In the, in the football environment, when you're not winning... And you're not playing well. You do you. You, you want to hide. You, you don't want to be. You know. You know. Even going down to the local supermarket and and shopping. You just hopefully don't see anyone and and talk any football whatsoever. So I I certainly understand that. Yes, that's a great thing because the players really feel you know down about their performance, which is meaning you care, and I think that's that's a positive sign. But. Um, You know, after a while, if it it keeps adding layers, your side keeps struggling and and it's not your year, it can be, you know, mentally really, really challenging. And then you often see it, you know, and we see on the news um, on a Monday after a side's had their first win for quite some time, you see shots of training. Everyone's got big smiles on their face. They're quite relaxed and feeling good about themselves but normally that means I'll have a disaster <laughs> the following weekend because they've they've just totally taken their foot off and relaxed a bit. But um, you know it, it is a it is a tough environment. You do care about where you go and what you do, and and you know some players take it well, some don't. You know, and I always had issues with players who could move on really quickly. Oh well, we lost. Let's just get on with it, because I thought, oh, hang on, they're not they're not caring. You know, they're they're not showing they they care or they are hurt. So, um, it is a bit of a balancing act. and After a while, you work it all out and you know where you can go and what you can do and which places you need to avoid. And then you just – the only way to fix things is get back out there and try and play well and contribute.
0: Throughout the late noughties, the end of the decade, the Collingwood team was going from strength to strength. You were building up a really good team. The wins were coming. Coach Mick Malthouse, by his standards, seemed happy. Tell us about the
1: 2010 home and away season. Couldn't tell you. All I know is we played extremely well towards the back end of the, of the year. Um, and obviously, that's the year, I think, where the secession plan, is that when Mick and Buck's kind of signed on? And is that where all I think went that was applied? the next year, next wasn't year? it? 2011. So that's how good I'm going. That's how much <laughs> footy really matters to me too much about that. But um, it was, It was. we had an exceptional team through probably 9, 10, 11, and 12. Um, and there was probably this aura around the group that we knew if we just turned it on, we'd win a game of football. We could be three, four goals down, didn't matter but we could play five minutes of good footy and win a game. And is that a good thing? No, it's not because you need consistency and you can't, You can't rely on that five minutes of good footy in a game to win. But we did it for four years and that's probably what got us a premiership in, in 2010. But at the same time, it probably cost us maybe one or two as well. Um, so a great thing, but at the same time, it was a disappointing outcome.
0: Now, you mentioned the 2010 grand final. It was up for grabs and Kilda was winning and then this happened late in the game.
3: Taken by side bottom. Side bottom looks down towards half forward. Nobody near this man. McAffer runs to the fifty. Sets it up. Sure will fly from behind. Almost but hands to it. Spills out the back. Tonks. has get the goal. Mike back
2: in front.
1: Do you know what I didn't realise three or four years ago that was the goal that actually what leveled us to put in front? I didn't realise that at the top. Um yeah, I haven't watched the game to be honest. So, I, I, the moment of playing in a in a grand final has kind of gone away from me. in My thoughts and uh, have not thought about watching it ever since. Why? I don't know. Completely honest. I don't watch a lot of footy. Um, I love looking at the stats and numbers. Yes, um, but I, I'm not in bed by eight thirty, nine o'clock most nights. So footy's done for me. <laughs> but I don't
0: know how you haven't accidentally come across it because I've accidentally watched that grand final a couple Fox of times. footy's
1: not on at my house. Okay. Yeah.
0: You've have, got no desire to sit back and watch oh, it? I mean,
1: Maybe once upon a time. Like, I don't know. But now like my, my day's full of so many other things. that Yeah, it still involves football. i work working footy, so I love it. But any time that I'm home now, I really want to be present with my family and my kids. Um, I've got an eight-month-old little boy, Archer, and a three-and-a-half-year-old little girl, Scarlett. So to me, my priorities have changed so much. It's not about me anymore, where for 12, 13 years of my life, it was me. I didn't care who got in the way or what happened I was selfish, I guess, in my own time because I wanted to be the best athlete I could. Now, as a father, I want the best for my children and also my wife, Becky. Um, so it's really changed my priorities of what and where I want to go in life. I, I don't want to work 16, 17 hour a anymore. That's what I used to do as a footballer. I was fanatical of the way I went about things. Now, I love my work. I love that, but I, I, I leave that at the door now, and that's football sometimes as well, watching and, and probably being a supporter.
0: So when you're having a beer with your Collingwood mates, do you talk footy? Do you talk anything but footy or a bit in between?
1: Oh, a bit of everything. Um, these, these days you can't catch up with friends yeah. anyway, but that's a shame. But yeah, we talk footy and, and like every year we catch up our 2010 grand final team and we talk all year long. We've got a WhatsApp group. It's probably the the funniest thing you could ever, if you sat and read it, it was be the most mind blowing thing you ever read, but it's so funny. And I guess, that's what I was saying before, the, the characters we had in that team like Swanee, Ben Johnson, he's sure that, but you put in like Sherrod Wellingham, Jared Blair, Nick Maxwell, Luke Ball, who's a polar opposites, realistic of some of these guys. But this conversation is amazing. And sometimes you just be a fly on the wall and you sit and read the conversations, it's funny and you chuckle. And sometimes on the couch reading, and my wife Becky sit next to me, she's like, What are you doing? And I'm just like <laughs> flipping through a thread and just having a laugh and, and chuckle. So Footy, footy's been good to me. It really has for many years. Um, But I've learnt so much from it. And that's where now the next part of my life is. is giving back to the the next generation of of footballers. And that's in the NAB development program. And I've already had one young boy get picked up by the Pies last week in the mid-season draft. And I'm in constant communication now with him about how that next phase of his life looks like. And I want to send these boys and girls off with the best opportunity to make a career out of it. Because there is so much upside to playing AFL football. And... I still want them to know that, and the fun of it doesn't have to be taken away as soon as you walk into an AFL club. You can enjoy this sport and this industry, as much as I did, but for longer, I guess. Um, you don't have to have it taken away at the age of 20.
2: I and want it, these guys it's, to enjoy it's it. It's nice knowing that, yes, you know, when you do watch the footy, um, you know, over the next 10, 12 years, that player, oh, look at the career they've gone on to have. Yes, I had a very small involvement into sitting them on their way and, and they'll never forget that and you've always got that connection so that's, that's a nice thing to have and you still feel like you're contributing to the game.
1: Yeah and no, I guess that's wherever when I finished I didn't know what I wanted to do in, in footy uh, I didn't know if I wanted to stay in it um, but I'm so glad I've kept that um, connection in football we're just in a different way now because my priorities are so different to what it was five years ago when I was playing football I'm now invested in community I really want to make sure where I live and I work is better off for the the things I can actually bring to, to, to the community.
2: What about um, seven years' time? The kids are going, Dad, we really want to watch you run around and play footy. Um, and so you're going to have to go oh, I'm going to have to do another pre-season Get myself up for super rules And run around and get a kick That's well, quite nice It will be
1: Yeah My daughter has just found out What a football is Over the last couple <laughs> of weeks And she's in the corridor Trying to kick it And I'm in my head going Shit Does she want to play football Or to ride horses And in my head I'm like Well I wouldn't mind her to play football Because it doesn't cost an arm and a leg Horses well, well, <laughs> Peter
2: Moody's daughter um, Or daughter's Very very good uh, They do a great job One is the Ruckman at Carlton I think And um, she's fantastic So you know I'm sure she's done a lot of horse riding growing up but um, you know it can work you can have a bit of both
1: yeah but um, as I said you could not convince me to play another game of football I'm that far away from wanting to play footy and I know we're looking in the future seven, ten years I think I'll still have the same mindset
0: <laughs> I'm going to try one more time about these grand finals
1: because you played three in two
0: years something that will never happen again because we don't yeah. have the replay anymore well, we we got all three a, w- a win a loss
1: and a draw yeah, so you, not many you've experienced as well. it
0: at all and It's almost like it was not a good memory for you because you you, you just almost want to park it and not think about it. it, That couldn't be further from the truth. You kicked the goal to put the Pies in front in the first one. The second one, you won a premiership and even the Geelong Grand Final, you personally were outstanding. You probably would have been close to the Norm Smith medalist had the Pies had a better second half. So it's interesting that you haven't watched them and you don't really sound like you want to talk about them too much even though all three would have been a positive experience for you.
1: Yeah, well, we blame Reedy for the 2011 one, to be honest. So Pods got injured late in the second, so and um, that's the game that obviously Tomahawk had his breakout and played fantastic in their second half. So he blamed Reedy for that, so that's all right. So, um, yeah, it was that game was going well. Um, got to play alongside or against two of my favourite opponents, Tommy Lonigan and Harry Taylor. I really loved playing against them, so to have that in the grand final was um, super. Um, yeah, the, the draw was just fascinating because all I remember really from that game is standing around for five minutes afterwards and everybody talking about, is it golden goal, extra five minutes, or is that just it? Like, what is it? Nobody knew. So for someone who, I you don't know, put your blood, sweat, and tears into achieving a grand final, you tick that. But then all of a sudden you have a draw, and you're like, well, what do we do, and where do we go from here? And then all of a sudden that was when when Nick Maxwell really stood up and said, "No, nah, get in here. Let's get off. Let's recharge, and we'll be back here in a week." And I think that's probably what helped us because we changed our mindset from "What do we do?" to you know what we're coming back in seven days straight away. And, um, yeah, we got the ultimate success, as, as Croft did many times. And it's enjoyable and great, but I probably didn't realise that it, it really is a once in a lifetime opportunity to be a part of a premiership side.
2: It was amazing, the drawing grand final, because even, um, you know, even all of us who work around football at times were like, oh, no – that means we've got to come back for another week of work and focus on another grand final. But I, I do remember that really clearly because that was – St Kilda threw everything they had. They absolutely threw everything. They had players on one leg, um, you know, just you could tell that they'd got themselves ready for that match. And there was no next week for them. And then unfortunately for them, they had to try and recover, get themselves ready to go. You guys were certain is the next week. I don't know if you actually felt that in your mindset, but – Everyone was thinking, you know, if Collingwood can get themselves going, uh, St Kilda threw everything at you. Did you go into that second week thinking, boys, we, we just need to be on. We know we can win this. Just be on. Away we go. Or is it like, oh, hang on, they they've scared the this out of us. Yeah, we need to bit a and bit of we b. We need to switch really.
1: on. Um, it was always going to be a matter of whichever team struck first and, and to really put the best foot forward. That the other team just going to chuck it in and go. It's too hard. Um, because yeah, a game of footy does take everything out of you physically but also mentally and I think that's what probably looking back at now the advantage of we went to our function after the drawn grand final with our supporters and family and still stayed there but we also realised that this is an opportunity still for us to to reset and recharge for the week after and I think that's what we did well where uh, St Kilda actually didn't go to their after match function so they went home and maybe on their own and dwelled about the outcome of what didn't happen um, so yeah we actually stayed together jailed, and I think that is probably the the difference in the end is maybe us going to a function which is on modern days is the worst thing to do um, <laughs> but yeah it probably brought us together as a group and realised you know what we're in this together win lose or draw the week la- week later and um, yeah we ended up walking away with the cut which is nice and an opportunity for the AFL to redo the entertainment because <laughs> Meatloaf was the first
2: one, and then they had the. <laughs> the, the Did you get to away. witness any of Meatloaf, or you would no. have been locked away in the room? Well, I heard
1: bits. I went and saw him at <laughs> Day on the Green later on in like December, and I realised I was like, I wonder why the AFL had a sook about him. He was pathetic. So he was bad that <laughs> yeah. day too, was he? Just yeah. done. Yeah, done. No good. Past his so, use um, by date. Yeah, but it was nice day. Rochford, it's a beautiful place to go to, but <laughs> have a drink or two, music. just no meatloaf. Yeah. It was an interesting time
0: at the Collingwood Football Club, and as you mentioned the succession plan, you played the first half of your career under Mick Malthouse. What was Mick like? Was Mick in person like what we see on the TV, or is there a different side to Mick? mick
1: oh, Mick's had a fascinating man. I, I sat down with him probably a month ago and had dinner with him, we were at a game of footy, and it was so good to see him in a different manner once again, and I, I love Mick and the net and the family. And I grew up; well, I went to crash with his kids, for God's sake. Like we, we, we've known each other from day dot. But um, Mick was a man who really cared about people as individuals. Really, like I say, he was the second father for me at a football at the football club. Um, he cared about who I was and what I could do on field, but also what I was doing at school and, and away with my my family, uh, which is fantastic for me. But gee. He was good in motivating players and the group. And I guess that's the difference is Bucks was an educator about X's and O's and game plans. Mick was really about motivating you to get up. If you can't get up to play a game of footy, there's something wrong. Um, I learned so much about myself under Mick and also under Bucks, but just in different ways.
0: It sounds like you've got nothing but great things to say about Mick. He's been very close with your father, David. How cutting was it then after those comments he made about Jason following the grand final where he didn't play particularly well having been suspended the year before and Mick basically said he played better the year he was suspended?
1: Um, yeah, the comments was quite interesting. Um, and it, it does hurt as an individual. Like I'm sure Jason was sitting there going, shit, that's my, my coach saying that about me. But this is a business and it's a multi-million dollar business and we, we do need to realise that. And sometimes you need criticism. Um, it's not all blue skies sometimes, and you've got to take that on board. And I, I know that, and I, I realise that. But at the time, yeah, I, I know that, yeah, within a family, like we are pretty pissed off. But at the same time, it is what it is, and it's probably reality as well. Like that's what happened. Um, did it work for Jace? Now, that was probably the downfall of his AFL career, to be completely honest. And he probably knows that too, because um, he couldn't reinvent himself. He was never a forward, and I guess that's where he played that day as a forward. Um, but. Sometimes you say things and you don't really mean it that way, but you can't take it back. That's just what it is, and
0: we move on. And moving on is what Collingwood did for Mick and they made the plan for Buckley to come in. At the time, it raised a few eyebrows. I think it's safe to say it didn't go as smoothly as Collingwood would have liked with Mick leaving the football club not long after. What did you make of it at the time and how do you look back on that decision?
1: Oh, I hear so many different stories about it. Like, we as players signed a petition to get Mick back. I don't remember <laughs> hearing or seeing or doing any of that. And like I don't know if I was just hit in the clouds and I just enjoyed myself. And
2: I'm sure you'd remember you know, yeah, that. Like, for me, I never something
1: scribbled like that. something down, that's for sure like Bucks was a a huge part of my life when he was a player but also when he transitioned as when he retired he went into media I still had constant communication with him so for him to come as a coach I didn't have an issue with it like yes I loved Mick as a coach and I I still do as a person as as what he gave us but maybe it was what the club was trying to be reinventive and not have a slump where we fall away and this is what they were trying to do and so I get it but at the same time yeah disappointing that we were so close in 2011. I would love to have had another 12 months with Mick um, to have another crack at it. I don't know a lot of the group would, but sometimes it it does take a bit of change to reinvent himself as a footy club. We were a bit stagnant as well. Yeah, we had success, but we were really plateauing out because we just needed to find that spark once again. And maybe that's what the club saw bucks coming. With a with a core group that we had, maybe a, a new a new fresh face or ideas, and might just create that extra spark. It didn't work out, no. Um, but I guess we sit here and we, we look at mixed coaching career now in boxes. Like who's the more successful at Collingwood? Well, do we say Mickey's because he got success in a premiership? Well, maybe. But do we look at development of individuals now under Bucks as success also? So I'm really not too sure. I'm torn on who's probably had that better career as a coach but at the same time what they've done away from footy for that football club as individuals um, has been sensational.
2: And he Bucks as a coach had to really sort of reinvent himself as well because we know he's a super serious uh, you know when he trains and, and when he was a player but also you know in his first early years as a coach it's like, oh, there's not, not much fun happening there. You know, he obviously wanted to achieve the, the highest level that he could possibly be, which was make a grand final, win a grand final. So did you see, um, you know, every year moments where he was trying to change, trying to, I suppose, be a bit more relaxed at times? Because definitely towards the end of his coaching career, his press conferences were, were fantastic. He'd always have a great rapport with all the media. You could see he was very relaxed. But early on, it was very different.
1: Yeah, I guess this is the evolution of Nathan Buckley from a a serious uptight player to a coach. And he's got to sell the brand, and that's probably what he wasn't doing to start with. Because, yeah, he's an intimidating person. Like, if you meet Bucks and you you get him on the wrong day, like, gee, he's (laughs) he's blunt. But at the same time, you know it comes from a a, a good place. But he definitely evolved as as a coach and also as a person, I think. Um, We sit back and we judge individuals in the spotlight so hardly um we never know what's actually happening behind closed doors or how people go about it and um yeah he's had a interesting 12 well, not 10 years as a coach um 18 months even personally for him like it's it's tough and you never wish things like that a, 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 um against like your worst uh, enemy um but i guess yeah we're sitting here too today with news breaking and i don't know footy is footy it's so entertaining but I'll um, I'll give Bucks a call on my way home today to see how he's tracking and touch base. But I I love the... The bloke, Um, yes, he sacked me twice. It doesn't happen very often as a coach. Well, as a as a player and also as a coach, but
2: I still um, I still love him. You're still going to give him a call. you have still got lots of love for him.
1: Yeah, bloody earth, that's pretty. Um, It takes a bit to really piss me off. If you piss me off, you've done something. Maybe if they sack
2: you three times, (laughs) (laughs) three times. Right, I'm not
1: calling him ever again. So, um, no, I I look forward to seeing what's next for Bucks Like I really do. Like he's he cannot be lost to footy. He's such a good brain. Will he coach again? I hope not. hope not. I hope not for himself. I hope he goes in the media because he's got such a good head. Um, the way he sees the game. And I'd really love to see his personality come out more. I think he's
2: really... I just think he's so driven in that space. Like, he, he's, he's just a high achiever. He, yeah. he, he wants to get to the top of the mountain. So maybe have a year out. But I've got a feeling we're going to see him back around.
0: Maybe the premiership is going to drive him to coach again. We missed it as a player,
1: um, and that was always the driving factor. He wanted one as a player, so I guess that's why you roll into the next thing of coaching to get one as a coach. He got close and missed out in 2018, I think it was, and, um, yeah, maybe. Who knows? We sit back and maybe there's another chapter in his story. Shane Crawford,
0: you've sat here and spoken to me about Robert Harvey being your hardest ever opponent. You speak glowingly about the man, and he's been given the reins to coach Collingwood to the end of the season. What do you make of this appointment? And how do you think he'll go? Well,
2: I think it's the right thing to do. Obviously, if Nathan Buckley is stepping down, um, you know, he's been involved with that football club for a long, long time. Someone who you'd know, obviously, very, very well, Trav. But um, I I think it's it's the right thing to do because Robert Harvey, um, you know, he's done a huge apprenticeship for a long, long time. Uh, He put his hand up for the St Kilda gig only a few years ago. He's been putting his hand up for some senior uh, roles um, if he sees that club being the right fit. So... I think it's a perfect audition time for him to show us what he can do, whether or not he changes the game plan and the game style, the way they go about it. But for the next, well, we're still pretty much halfway through the year. So for the next half of the year, we're going to work out whether or not Robert Harvey can coach because he does have a, a reasonable list to work with. Can he come up with a new way to, to get a bit more school board pressure? And I think it's a great appointment, Trevor. What do you reckon?
1: I look forward to seeing how it pans out. Obviously, Bang has been there for many years at the Pies. Exceptional football brain. And as you said, he he has tried for for numerous jobs where fit best at other clubs. So I look forward to seeing how Robert goes about it and putting his own stamp, I guess, on in the next few weeks because he's such a a loving, caring guy. And I think that's what you kind of need at this time of time. of the season when your senior um, coach steps aside. So you need someone who's going to be there to support because so many of the boys are going to be so indecisive about where the next 10 weeks go for them individually.
2: And he would have had a choice too whether or not he, yep, I'll take on the, the role from here. And a lot of coaches in waiting don't want to do that. But I reckon, you know, as Trav said, he's a smart man and he would have said, right, this is my best chance to show what I can do with a side, you know, that's been struggling a bit. Can I get them playing with a really good style? Can we hit the scoreboard a bit more? Can we be a bit more competitive? Can we win more? <laughs> this is a great time for him to, you know, fly the flag and say, listen, I can coach, I know what I'm doing. And who knows what may happen from there. We saw David Teague, he takes over. Guess what? He gets the job. So you just never know what's going to happen because I'm sure Collingwood don't have a coach in mind right now. Uh, I'm sure they'll they'll do a lot, huge interview process and make sure they get the right person for the next 10 years, not necessarily someone to fill the role for the next year or so.
0: Would Harvey be in pole position to get that job now, do you think?
2: I, 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 I don't know joe has been a part of the football club for a long, long time and even over the last few years working at the football club, you would know better than anyone.
1: I definitely think he's in the top couple, but at the same time, at like any club, you're, you've are got to throw the net out and see what's out there. You've got to ask coaches that aren't coaching, speak to Ross, uh, Ross Lyons, see these type of guys that actually have any interest in coming back or being a part of the next phase of what this football club stands for, but... You don't look past someone who's right under your nose sometimes and that's what Bangor, I think, is doing. He's put his hand up and said, hey, give me, give me the opportunity, give me 10 weeks, see what I can do. If I can win more games than we lose, if I can bring or implement a small change to the game style that might reinvent four or five different players and they see a change, well, maybe that's enough for the pals to be at the club to, to appoint him as the next senior coach.
2: Will they
0: have a crack at Clarkson?
2: Well, look, it's funny because everyone goes, oh, there's not many coaches out there. But when you look at all the coaches and the opportunity they got, you know, you got Noble and you got Fagan, they come from nowhere. Well, not necessarily nowhere. They'd been doing a lot of work yeah, for a long, long time. Though. Yeah, so, so there's coaches everywhere. We saw so many assistants uh, put off during the COVID period. There's so many assistants who are just waiting for that opportunity and they just need to get in front of people and show what they're capable of doing and, and impress in their interviews. Look, um, you know, Robert Harvey's a great suggestion. I love the fact that he's taken the game on over the next you know, half of the season. I reckon that's an awesome way to show what you're capable of doing. Uh, Blake Carousel is one who's highly regarded, who's done a wonderful job. Um, you've got Lepic, but a left field suggestion for me and someone who I know really well and I know what they're capable of is Sam Mitchell. You know, I think he's set himself up really well at Box Hill even though they haven't played a lot of games. He went over, he coached with West Coast, he's come back to Hawthorne He's also now taken on Box Hill. He's got Andy Collins, so he brought someone who's had great experience at VFL level, also AFL level as an assistant. I just think it'd be crazy not sitting down and interviewing someone like Sam Mitchell, and I know I push him a lot, but I push him for a reason because he's bloody good, and I think he's going to be a career coach. So – it's a great opportunity right now for Collingwood to go and interview everyone, everyone under the sun. They should be interviewing 500 people for this job, narrow it down to 10 and then try and work out who's the best fit to go forward. And not not just the best fit as a person, the best fit with a game style, someone who's prepared to be a bit different, to think a bit different, to play a bit different. And uh, I think a lot of those players I just mentioned bring that.
3: That winter chill is right around the corner, but the AFL is only heating up. And so is Tab's Same Game Multi, where you can combine your favourite AFL markets like Head-to-Head, Anytime Goal Kicker and Total Disposals, all in the one bet to get bigger odds. It's available all season long on the Tab app and website. Build your Same Game Multi with Tab today. Tab, long may we play.
0: Available online for Tabacan customers only. Gamble responsibly. Call Gambler's Help. 1-800-858-858. You've played under some great coaches. you played under Mick Malthouse. you played under Nathan Buckley. And as you just said, he sacked you and you went to the
1: Western Bulldogs for that season. What was it like coming up against your former team, Collingwood? Well, in my, what, 12 years of playing for the Pies, we never played the Doggies round one, ever. Um, I go to the dogs and I think in the November it gets announced Collingwood playing Doggies Round 1 I was like well this is a bit of coincidence isn't it <laughs> um, it was interesting to say the least like they're your mates um, you play against them in intra clubs and training and yes but I guess it's um, it's very interesting because in intra matches you don't go as hard or as physical but when there's four points and I guess you got a different jumper you you put your friendships aside and then you go whatever you need to do for that two hours and that's what it came down to when I remember walking out for that that day and um, standing alongside one of your good mates, like Ben Reid, and that's just what you got to do. You put your friendship aside for that two hours. Um, it was bittersweet, yeah, kicking that goal um, against them, and it's it's probably the one piece of footage that I've shown a few times since. And like Reedy comes around for dinner, and all of a sudden you sit on your phone and find it, and you flick it up on the screen, and you you're sitting next, to him having a laugh, and all of a sudden this comes on and have a laugh and giggle with him and just remind him about that one moment I kicked that one goal on him and it, it, he has a bit of a chuckle and a laugh. So I I did enjoy myself at the Dogs. Um, it was short, uh, it was only 12 months, but it kind of wasn't what I was, I wanted to go to a club that had culture and integrity and, and that's why I went to the Dogs. But I didn't want to go to a big club and well, the dogs won the premiership in 2016, so I guess I couldn't have gone to a bigger <laughs> club. But I guess it was it was all done pre and post all that, uh, pre all that. So I really enjoyed the the atmosphere that the dogs had in in 2017. The staff, the people at that football club, are amazing, and I still talk to a lot of them now. Um, but I guess the reason why I didn't stay on is I just couldn't find that love for footy to continue. And I had my first proper injury that year. I broke my intercostal to so my chest. Um, in my 250th game. So, ironically, I, I sat out for, for eight weeks from that. And that was probably the moment where I realised there's more to life now. I, my wife was pregnant. Uh, we just got married. Um, this is the first time I'd really sat at home for a few weeks without thinking about playing a game of footy. And that, I think, weighed on my mental health of where and what was pro- my priorities. And it brought a lot of things to the table that I was struggling in so many areas because I'd focused so heavily on. AFL being the driving factor of my life. Well, that's really where my priorities got out of whack because I'd invested so much time into that and took it away from the things that really meant most to me, and that was family. Um, So it it changed my priorities, and that was the main reason why I stepped away at the end of 2018.
0: What did you do to help with the mental demons following your retirement?
1: Um, Well, my daughter was born three days after I retired, so I didn't really have time to sit and dwell and feel sorry for myself. So it was a matter of waking up four or five times during the night, changing nappies, um, all hands on deck in that in that regard. So um, I loved it. I stayed home for the first 18 months of her life. Um, and I'm, I'm very lucky and, and I guess fortunate that my wife's very supportive of my choices in that as well, of wanting to be home for our children and helping out. And um, my, my son's eight months now, and I've pretty much been home for the first eight months of his life as well because of COVID, I guess he's... A, <laughs> A lucky thing for me, but um, I, I really am invested in, in my family, and that was the reason why footy kind of did stop because I had different priorities at, at the age of thirty, uh, where realistically I should have had two or three years of, of AFL football, but I just didn't have it in me anymore.
2: Most dads work longer when you have a child first. <laughs> <laughs> you know, a newborn is like, oh, yeah, extra me shift here, no dramas. Leave a bit earlier. The, the famous Dustin Fletcher story. used to go to training. Training would start at nine o'clock, but he'd leave the house at seven, avoid school drop-off, and he'd go to the same cafe, get a, a Vegemite toasted sandwich, a coffee, get the paper, and he'd go and sit in the car park, and he'd read the paper, listen to the radio, and then off he'd start his day, but uh, you do it very differently. So you, you left the Bulldogs, but they never sacked you, so your coach... He still hasn't told you you've been sacked.
1: Yeah, he rang me up and said, this is what's <laughs> happening. And that was cool. And he goes, I'm I'm in so I'll give you a call to Sava And I was like, yeah, no problem. We're and talking about Luke Beveridge. Yeah, Bevo here. And um, I guess, but that's that's Bevo. Like, like, he was up there going for a surf and having, like, that was, that's part of his identity. And it's great. But I've crossed paths with him and, and numerous other people at the Dogs. And, yeah, it was, at the time, it was a bit weird because I'm like, oh, I'm still waiting for the call from Bevo and I kind of put the <laughs> yeah, full stop do. at the end and that's kind <laughs> of it. But um, no, I, did, I didn't I did have time. And I guess that was the time where, where Shacky was leaving the Brisbane Lions too. So obviously the dogs were going to use my list spot as an opportunity to get Shacks on board and um, start with a bit of youth and going from there. Because obviously they, they won that flag, but it, it wasn't luck, but they played some fantastic footy, but they knew that they needed some youth coming through. Um, So it was an opportunity for them to to rebuild their list also. So um, I knew for the greater of their football club and also their future, that was what was going to be best for them also as a footy club. And irrespectively, what's best for me doesn't come down to it because it comes down to the bigger picture and that's the football club.
0: What's something Collingwood does better than the Western Bulldogs and vice versa?
1: Oh, it's a tough one, but community for both was fantastic. Both really invested in their community programs. Collingwood, obviously, with their NEST program, the Salvation Arms were fantastic. But the Western Bulldogs do amazing stuff in the western suburbs of Melbourne. Like, what they do in the give back was super. So I really loved and, and probably thrived off the environment of both clubs in that space. Um, and I guess the, the the negative of playing for the Pies is, right or wrong, everything's front page or back page of the Herald Sun. I got a haircut one day and it was front page of the Herald Sun. <laughs> and that was the day that the budget got released. Like surely that priority, like what we're spending money. <laughs> was it a mate, good haircut? <laughs> no, it was a shocker. Like, like the rest of them. Like, like, let's be honest, I had some shit haircuts throughout my career. And this was front page of the Herald Sun the day of the budget. So, so the good things that the club had was were great. And that's for both. But priorities that involved black and white, the Collingwood Football Club, were blown out of the water. And that, What's the difference of going to the dogs? Like, you could float under the radar and enjoy yourself a little bit more personally there. And I really enjoyed that. Um, did that mean you'd do things different? No, it didn't. But I knew I didn't have to rock up to training and push away three different cameras before getting to the change rooms. I had to replace my windscreen mirror three times my car. Because could have broken into yes, at the, at the dogs. But that was the difference of maybe where I was. That, that was it. <laughs>
2: you need to park in a, a better position. But um, the thing is, when I... Think back to Trav playing. It was all, he was very much Buddy Franklin style. Don't let him get the footy early in the game. Don't let him get his confidence up. And I do remember so many times where you'd get the uh, get the ball on the 50-meter arc, out near the boundary, you'd go back and you'd kick those long goals. I is there something around goal kicking where the further you're out, the more relaxed you get at having a shot? We see St Kilda having a lot of issues in front of goals at the moment. So, take us through a mindset for yourself is it further out more relaxed or the closer you get you go hang on I should be kicking these I'm an AFL footballer
1: yeah it's got everything and I tell you now if I could pinpoint it I would have done as a player I did everything I could I literally did headphones, noise mindfulness meditation hypno stuff they literally threw everything at me in that space and now I could tell you everything you could do in your goal I could be the best goal kicking coach because I know so many different ideas and techniques just nothing worked for me um, was it because I didn't put the working? No, I used to spend hours out there kicking footies down. I used to go down the Glenfrey Over the old stairs there and just kick balls all the time on my own. But I couldn't make it work. I, for some reason,
2: 15 to 20 out was my area. I just couldn't kick them. Um, so, so as soon as you get the ball, um, you know, 15, 20 out, what goes on in your head? Straight away you're thinking <gasps> a
1: little bit, yeah. There's definitely away, like, I shouldn't miss this. this. Yeah, yeah. I can't miss this Like this, yeah. I'm a professional player for football. This is what I do for my job. Yep, yeah. surgeon's not going into an operation going <laughs> <laughs> oh, shit. Which one do I cut? Um, so yeah, a little bit of that. And yeah, as you get out further, like the expectations to kick them probably drops. And but for me, it was the other way. The further I got out, in my head, I was like, I don't miss this. This, yeah. is, this is easy. No, as soon as I got closer, me. I'm like, shit, what am I doing here? To The point where you miss him in the goal screen, you're like, I could kick this with my eyes closed 90% of the time.
2: Yeah, but and did, did you think you got to a stage because you kicked how many go You kicked a lot of goals, yeah. You someone said the
1: other day I don't know, 600 or something like yeah, that. Yeah,
2: 600 goals, that's unbelievable. Matty Richardson, what did he kick? Seven or 800 yeah, goals, like uh, maybe even more. I don't know. I didn't think like, I could kick straight. That's well, you did kick straight a lot of the times, so that's the thing. So, so. I'm just trying to get into someone's head where you, you go into that Crawl, negative you space. don't want to get inside my head. No, though. early on. That's so are up. you lining up for goal? Do you then go, okay, breathe, relax, take 10 steps, guide down. Are you doing 10, 20 things in your head or are yeah, you go so out, trying to strip it back to I, no, just one, have momentum? Monday to Friday,
1: yeah, I had step-by-step. Step. Same thing, run around, fatigue, whatever, come back. Take that inhale, breath, left leg, went back, cock it, type of thing. And then I was a 6-5 routine, three-step yep. follow-through at the end. So I could tell you step-by-step step what yeah. I did, uh, where my fingers were, everything like that. Like, it was to the nth degree. But as soon as I, I crossed the line the start of a game, that went out. It was like yep. – I always found it really hard to replicate what it was like to, to kick under fatigue. Um, there was days at training I used to get Anthony Rocker to pretty much beat me up and lay on me and scrap and wrestle. So <laughs> you were having a shot on goal under match fatigue as such. But it was really hard to replicate. You run around for 5, 10K or whatever, and then all of a sudden you've got to compose yourself for these 20 seconds. That was the hardest part I couldn't replicate at training. Um, I, I still look at players that do it so well. Jack Riewoldt, um Ruffy, like, they did it exceptionally. They could... Almost alter their mindset and go bang. This is my routine. Go through. Um, and Ruffy
2: had a, a rough period there for a while too. You know, so yeah, I think all the forwards You know, Nick Revolt had uh, had troubles there for a while as well with goal kicking. So it's definitely weren't alone. And when you kick them though, what about the raw of uh, the Collingwood? And crowns? I guess that's
1: why you, you do play footy. Like the buzz, the enthusiasm. Like in a hundred thousand people in a stadium is amazing. Like it really does make you play better. And I know that's bad to say as a professional athlete you should play well no matter what but it, it does help and mm. yeah they, they let you know good or bad don't get me wrong <laughs> the amount of times you stand in that goal square and you hear your own cheer squad having a goal it's, <laughs> like, it, it's pretty interesting <laughs> it, it really is interesting but um, at the same time like I loved going to a game of footy and seeing that the guy on the on Monday to Friday who's a doctor a surgeon a, a solicitor who's suit and tie every day and that was his two hours that he could chuck his jumper on paint his face Maybe pull his dentures out. Who knows? And just (laughs) cheer and be part of society for that to us. I really did enjoy knowing that we putting on that show as AFL footballers was someone's release from from normality. Well,
0: you kicked 452 goals at AFL level. Max King, a very exciting young forward from St Kilda. He's having a lot of problems at the moment kicking in front of goal. If you were asked to give him advice, what would
1: you say? (sighs) Oh, mate, there's a, there's a lot. I've worked <laughs> with his brother. I haven't worked with Max, so I cannot be blamed for Max's bad <laughs> goal kicking. Well, he's,
2: his brother was a defender yeah, coming only came, through the
1: juniors. Only came forward because Max did his knee. Exactly. So, and then
2: now he's, you know, one of the the best goal kickers going around. Normally we talk about backs are,
1: are failed forwards, so they end up down back. But, no, he's gone the other way, Benny. But um, what would I give Max? Um, you know what? Really strip it back to the basics. Like, almost like, mate, you're out there just kicking footy. like... I could tell you now my round-the-ground kicking was quite good, but for some reason I couldn't kick on goal, and sometimes you've got to use that mentality of like just take out the real structure of your goal-kicking routine and go back as if you're going to kick it on the run. We, we're seeing so many guys now um, that are on angles just kicking snaps now. They're not kicking drop punts because that's what they've done, I guess, for so many years of at training. You sit in the pocket and kick goals. Well, you perfected it so well. Just go to doing that, and I guess that's where goal-kicking – we spend a lot of time on working and improving on it, but sometimes you've got to take away the expectations of having a routine. That Just go back and kick the footy. And I know that's a real basic and probably naive thing to say. I, I didn't do it. I didn't correct it or get to that part. But at the same time, it's a part of the game that hasn't evolved for us as, as a professionalism. And um, I, even as a coach now, don't spend enough time with my kids, boys and girls, on that aspect of the game.
0: I loved it when you were lining up about 40 to 50 out – on the left hook side at the MCG, that's when you were just money in the bank. Was there a little bit of when you're in that sweet spot? You were playing with the house's money because it was a kick that the percentages are probably thirty percent for AFL players. For you, it was closer to seventy percent. So you're sitting here talking about how bad you were at kicking at goal, but in that region you were absolutely dominant. So that's a little quirk in yeah, itself. Yeah, I guess
1: that's what say with Crawford. Like the expectations to kick, some of them aren't there, so you you do relax a little bit more than what you should. Um, yeah, maybe I relaxed too much and I was just like, I'm just going to kick it. Like, who cares? Like, result, if it goes on the full drop short, someone else marks it. Like, it is what it is. Maybe that was the m- mindset I should have had when I was 15 metres out. I, I don't know. And um, You were a
2: one-arm I, arm celebrator too, weren't you? Oh, you I, I was. But if I really
1: liked it, both came
0: <laughs> out, yeah. <laughs> but then the AFL saw him celebrating and said, that glove looks a little too good. Let's take that off him. Yeah, that
1: was, um, <laughs> that's a whole different kettle of fish. But um, I, um, I thoroughly enjoyed the fun of... Like even the the storyline that came along with me the whole way through, like it was from day dot to, to even now, like I'm I'm not an AFL footballer, but for some reason people seem to care what I do. Yep. Um and forever and a day and I try to make sure they they're better stories than than the negative stuff, but at the same time like I'm I'm human, I still stuff up, I still do the wrong thing, I still say the wrong thing, I do the wrong thing. I don't care anymore what people think of me and that's the difference now to who I was probably five, six years ago. I really cared. What people thought of me. Now I don't.
0: Now, when people hear you've got a son, so many people, the first thing they'll say is, is he going to play for Colin? Yeah, How are you going to react to that? Do you I think want him he playing was footy?
1: 18, months or, uh, 18 hours old, I posted a photo to social and I, I share things. Just someone said, oh, let's sign him up the father son. I was like, fuck, this kid's not even like a day old. <laughs> yeah, give me a spell. Um, he's a big bastard. He was 5.2 kilo or something. So really? he's, yeah, he's huge. Um,
2: but. Even Martin like football. Exactly, mate. Yeah. I don't know what he wants to I do. I've got like- two boys who have they hate football. Beautiful. I love that. And they get great satisfaction. We hate football, Dad, <laughs> the, telling me to my face. Which ones um, are they? So they're the twins. Got, they're the, they're twins. the twins. Yeah, but um, you know, as, as Trav said, you know, we'll we'll work on them as they get into the <laughs> yeah, 11s like, and twelves. <laughs> I
1: don't. That's completely honest. My daughter, as I said, picked a footy up for the other day, and she actually kicked it really well. I was like, surprise, <laughs> she must have got that from Becky, um, <laughs> but I do not care what my children choose to do. Like, yeah, if they want to play footy, great. I'll support them and um, see how we go. Like, at the moment, both my kids, like My especially my daughter, she's riding into her horses. She's got a couple of her own. My son started to cluck already. He's making this weird horse noise and stuff because he's around them so much. So
2: I don't <laughs> I, think know. I think it's cheaper to play football yes, than it buy is those, extremely, horses extremely, those
1: horses. Um, but I, I don't know. And I I was always encouraged as a kid by my parents to try new sports and try new things. And I guess that will be, will be the mentality I would do with my own kids. Um, push them to try and do whatever they can. If they're academic, great. You do that. If you're not, if you're into sports or arts, drama, enjoy. This is your life. You live it the best way. All we are is this, there, I guess, like a, a part is to steer them in the right direction.
0: Well, it's been a great fun chat today. We've absolutely loved having you in. We're going to finish with some rapid-fire questions at you and then Shane Crawford, you're going to give us your best bet and your best multi for the weekend of footy action. So yes. put your thinking hat on. Well, I drill, travel with these questions? Best player you've ever played against?
1: Brett, uh, oh, it's, it's tough i played against a lot um, Rutten yep. Why? He, he was the first player that always walked up Shook your hand And then straight away Bang Elbow in the chest <laughs> Like it was You know what Good luck Professionalism That's what you do And then the, all of a sudden The siren went Well done Fantastic Have a good week That I was like it. that And I, I respect that as an as a athlete um, And at the same time Like he Was exceptional for his football club as well best teammate oh, I really I really enjoyed my relationship with Tyson Goldsack um, on and off the field just funny guy doing his own thing still we don't talk daily but at the same time when you see each other it's like you saw him yesterday. Best ledger you played with Dane Swan best ledger you played against He's sure. Even though he was my team, <laughs> I played against him. He was very good as well. Were they both witty and funny? Yeah. You would literally, like, like sometimes you're running past Swanee and someone's, like, heckling him and you will say something and you, you start laughing. <laughs> and after the game, you're like, what did you actually say to him? And you, he tells you, and you're just like, fuck, I cannot believe you actually said that in the middle of a football. Like, Just his knowingness to come up with random stuff. It was, yeah, exceptional. Favourite food? Ice cream. Favourite drink? Oh, it's a touchy one. I, I love a, a cruiser. I don't drink beer, cannot stand beer, but I love a guava cruiser.
2: Is, is that why you like hanging out with Campbell Brown? I know you live close <laughs> to each other. He likes pineapple, though. He loves his cruisers yeah. as well. All these these hard, tough men of <laughs> AFL drinking cruisers. Beautiful thing. A lot of sugar, but Beautiful. <laughs>
0: Oh, geez, you'd both be dangerous, especially Campbell after a couple of cruises. (laughs) Yeah, good things. (laughs) Yeah, they are superb. There's no doubt about that. Trav, we've loved having a chat. Thank you so much for this today.
1: No problems. Thank you so much.
0: And come on, Crawford, let's get our pen and pad out. We want to make some money on the footy this weekend. What's your best bet? Well,
2: Port Adelaide against the Cats. Um, Cats have been horrendous off the bye for many, many years. Once again, they're coming off the bye to Port Adelaide. The game's in Adelaide. I just think get on, get on, Port Adelaide. Uh, they'll be, they would have really set themselves for this, and they would know in the back of their minds that they can be a bit ring rusty. Are they still um,
0: your number one seed for the flag?
2: Well, <laughs> they're a bit inconsistent at times. Now I think Melbourne are. I okay. think Melbourne have jumped ahead, but I still, I'm, I'm still thinking Port Adelaide are a different chance for sure and I think if you if you go Port Adelaide and multi that in to win uh, in with the Giants to win by 20 plus against North, I think they're in pretty good form, the Giants um, you'll get a return as long as Port Adelaide can get the job done but I'm pretty confident that'll happen.
0: Okay, there we go, there's Shane Crawford's winning bets for the weekend. Now last week I tried to steer the family into a bet type that was paying $3.50 that was the 8 teams in the top 8 to go on and play finals footy And that option is firmed a bit, but it's still 275, which for mine is an excellent bet. It's Melbourne, the Bulldogs, Geelong, Brisbane, Port Power, Sydney, West Coast and Richmond being the eight teams to play finals footy. So the best thing about that is you get to cheer against Essendon each and every week. And punters, get on that, and you've been listening to Inside 50.
3: That winter chill is right around the corner, but the AFL is only heating up. And so is Tab's Same Game Multi, where you can combine your favourite AFL markets, like Head to Head, Anytime Goal Kicker and Total Disposals, all in the one bet to get bigger odds. It's available all season long on the Tab app and website. Build your Same Game Multi with Tab today. Tab, long may we play.
0: Available online for tab account customers only. Gamble responsibly. Call Gambler's Help. 1-800-858-858.